You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting from WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Coming up in the next half hour, I talk to Levi Combs, president of the local chapter of the state, county, and municipal employees union about how to protect city employees during the COVID-19 pandemic. Also coming up in the next half hour, our consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware. But first, your local headlines. As of April 7th at 11.59 p.m., there are nearly 6,000 positive cases of COVID-19 in Indiana. The death toll rises to over 200 people. This is out of over 30,000 people tested. The largest age demographic for contracting the virus includes 50 through 59-year-olds, who make up over 20% of all positive cases. For those who died from coronavirus, the 80-plus age demographic makes up almost 40% of COVID-19 deaths. Today, the Indiana State Department of Health announced that 439 additional Hoosiers have been diagnosed with COVID-19 through testing at ISDH, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and private laboratories. Marion County had the most cases at 151 people. Other counties with more than 10 new cases include Bartholomew, Hamilton, Hancock, Hendricks, Johnson, Lake, and St. Joseph counties. Monroe County has 60 positive tests with zero deaths. This is out of 409 people tested. A second employee from the City of Bloomington staff tested positive for COVID-19. The employee works in the Parks and Recreation Department and, according to a city press release, was placed on leave Monday, March 30th. The positive test was received Thursday, April 2nd. The city is following all control and prevention protocols and is working to identify and inform any colleagues the infected employee would have been in direct contact within the past week. This follows the city's first positive case of a firefighter reported on March 28th. The city press release reads, quote, The city's Human Resources Department has apprised all employees of the options for paid sick leave and expanded family and medical leave availabilities as of April 1st through the new Federal Families First Coronavirus Response Act, end quote. These provisions are effective for employees through December 31st, 2020. Monroe County Health Department and the Monroe County Commissioners said they recommend residents to follow the CDC's new directive to wear face coverings in public settings where social distancing is difficult. This includes grocery stores and pharmacies. Last week, the CDC released guidance after research showed a significant number of people with coronavirus do not show symptoms. It went on to add that people who don't show symptoms can transmit the virus several days before symptoms begin. This means the virus can spread when people are interacting in close proximity with each other, talking, sneezing, or coughing, even though no one is showing symptoms. CDC says that wearing a cover for the face helps protect against the spread of the virus. It also will help people who may be carrying the virus and aren't aware of it. Cloth face coverings can be made from household items, such as a scarf, or can be made from other common items found on the CDC's website. The CDC says it does not recommend surgical face masks for the general public, as they are more necessary for healthcare workers. According to a county press release, wearing a face covering mask does not replace the need to maintain six feet apart. Social distancing remains the number one strategy used to slow the transmission of the virus. 
Effective Monday, April 6th, Bloomington Transit is offering Saturday bus route schedules. The schedules will not be exactly the same as weekday routes, and riders can find the Saturday schedules at bloomingtontransit.com. According to a city press release, quote, ridership has declined about 90% compared to a typical workday in April, end quote. However, Bloomington Transit will continue to offer free fare rides on all fixed routes and rear bus entering and exiting for passengers. Rear access allows for a safer working environment for BT drivers, yet any person using a mobility aid can still enter and exit using the front entrance for ease. The CDC says to stay at home if you are sick or showing symptoms, unless it's for medical treatment. CDC says most people with COVID-19 have mild illness and are able to recover at home without medical care. Do not leave your home except to get medical care. The center said not to visit public areas. It also recommends staying in touch with your doctor. Call before you get medical care. Be sure to get care if you have trouble breathing or any other emergency warning signs, or if you think it is an emergency. Lastly, the CDC recommends you avoid using public transportation, ride sharing, or taxis. It also hunkered down on social distancing, even in your own homes. Maintaining a healthy distance from those you live with is called home isolation. If you are sick or feeling symptoms, as much as possible, stay away from others. You should stay in a specific sick room, if possible, and away from other people and pets in your home. Use a separate bathroom, if available. And now, with seven local headlines, we turn to Alex Dieterer as she delivers a rundown on the latest local news from home. Jiang Mei Wu, an assistant professor of design at Indiana University, is using the art of origami to help solve the shortage of CDC-recommended face masks. Wu posted a tutorial video on YouTube using paper, fabric, and other household materials. She hopes she'll be able to find someone in Bloomington to help her provide masks for free to the public. Eli Lilly & Co. announced Tuesday it will allow people who have diabetes to pay $35 to fill their monthly insulin prescription to ensure they have access to the medication during the COVID-19 outbreak. In addition, Lilly's Solution Center is offering free insulin donated to Lilly by local nonprofit organizations for individuals who have minimal to no income. Amid the COVID-19 outbreak, Indiana University is making some of their residence halls available for healthcare workers. These buildings include Briscoe Residential Center on the Bloomington campus and University Tower at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Portions of Briscoe will be open to healthcare staff who need a rest between shifts, while a separate space will be prepared for healthcare workers who have been potentially exposed to the virus. Kristen Maxwell, a science teacher at St. Charles Borromeo School, has been recording videos in her backyard and uploading to Mrs. Maxwell Science Facebook page for her first through fifth grade students. Her videos cover topics such as flash floods, backyard snakes, animal tracks, and how to plant flowers. With her daughter acting as the camera person, Maxwell begins each video with the same message. I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to see all of you soon. With the March increase of 36% in the amount of food distributed at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, the Indiana National Guard has been volunteering at the bank to help with operations since last Friday. Four to eight guardsmen have been volunteering daily, assisting with packing senior food boxes and bagging groceries and items for kids' backpacks. Jason Barnes, a budget analyst in the Bedford office of the Hoosier National Forest, recently returned from a month helping firefighters battle remaining forest fires that have consumed Australia. 
Barnes helped set up a fire camp at the local fairgrounds in Delegate, a small town in Victoria that has 450 residents. Barnes and other new workers were able to relieve some of the previous crew members who have been working to contain the fires. A place called Home Floral and Gifts, a Linton floral shop, closed March 24th due to COVID-19. But that did not stop them from spreading the love. Every so often, co-owner Terry Davis puts extra bouquets of flowers on the street so people can pick them up. She posts online, take a bouquet, make someone's day. For WFHB, I'm Alex Eder. Stay safe. The Monroe County Commissioners discussed a tax abatement for a new earnest health structure during their April 8th meeting. County Attorney Jeff Cockerell described the project. Um, what we have here is a uh, health care rehabilitation center, uh, which when the hospital moves to its new location will lose this function. And uh, this group is working to step up and to take on that uh, function. They are indicating that they are going to have over 110 uh, new jobs with an average hourly wage of $29.96. This is going to be located in our North Park TIF district, which is uh, also known as the 46 corridor allocation area. Um, They would be kind of on the, at the corner of Curry Pike in 46, um, kind of towards Ellettsville. Cockerell said the projected final approval for the project is in June of 2020. He said before construction could begin, the tax abatement must be completed. Councilmember Lee Jones asked Cockerell about potential groundbreaking delays. Have, um, I know that they were hoping to break ground in May. Have we heard anything from the company itself about what it'll mean if they can't break ground then? I think that verbally their representatives have stated that. I think if you look at what has been applied for in the plan commission, it indicates June construction date. So I think end of May, early June is kind of their time frame. I think when they looked at the calendar of when the approvals are, they, they, they felt that in their application that June was more appropriate and more realistic for them to begin with. The construction estimated the last year, so they would be open for business in June of 2021. Commissioner Penny Githen said she was hesitant to approve the abatement before approval from the planning commissioners. Cockerell said the planning commissioner's approval is not required before county commissioner approval, and a memorandum of understanding would be drafted to regulate the project. Well, I think if they don't put a rehabilitation hospital, and again, we typically look at the number of jobs in the average hour is probably wage. And we typically have a agreement. The council typically has a memorandum of understanding with the company. And if they don't fulfill those promises, there are there are uh, reductions in the abatement and, and potentially, you know, callback of those abatements. And, and we'll certainly make sure we get one of those put together. Um, so I think there is some coverage there. Um, granted that, you know, if it's economic forces that are unforeseen and I I think we're looking at the last month of having an economic factor that's unforeseen that that, that could play a role um, in how the council and how the county would react to that. I think we would take in the totality of the circumstances, but there is some protections there with that memorandum of understanding and, and moving forward that way. The county commissioners continue the discussion until their next meeting on April 15th. Up next, Governor Eric Holcomb orders closure of Brown County campgrounds. 
WFHB junior correspondent Katrine Bruner has more on the story. On April 4th, Indiana resident Kyle Berkemeyer posted on Facebook his concern for public tourists in the Brown County area to a public Facebook group he created called Self-Isolate Our Brown County. The group currently has 203 members, most of whom are Brown County residents. As of now, Brown County has eight cases of the COVID-19 out of 22 people tested and one death. Although these numbers are relatively low, Monroe County, right next door, has 54 cases out of 394 tested currently. In the post, Berkemeyer stated that he has been seeing a massive influx of tourists coming to Brown County. Tourists, such as people from out of state or far away, coming to hike and partake in other activities, mostly at Brown County State Park. Berkemeyer said, quote, Nashville looks like a regular weekend, end quote. Brown County currently holds a population of approximately 14,999 people. A majority of the population is in the older age group. It was urged in the post that tourism stop at this time of crisis, as Berkemeyer stated, quote, We need to protect our population, which is mostly in the older age group that is highly susceptible to corona, end quote. On the page, contact information is listed for county commissioners Dave Anderson, Diana Biddle, and Jerry Pittman. Berkmeyer urged citizens to contact the governor's office and ask them to close down the park inn and campgrounds. On Monday, April 6, Holcomb ordered the closure of all campgrounds, including campgrounds at state parks. However, state parks are still remaining open to those who are using them for trails, picnics, and other activities not including camping. Brown County Commissioner Diana Biddle made a public announcement online asking Governor Holcomb directly to take into consideration the safety of their residents from, quote, out-of-town visitors, end quote. Biddle also issued a level orange travel watch for the county. According to the Indiana Homeland Department of Security, level orange means that conditions are threatening to the safety of the public and only essential travel, such as to and from work or emergency situations, is recommended. Brown County commissioners and citizens are still urging Governor Holcomb to close state parks entirely, arguing that too many visitors are traveling there and disregarding guidelines on essential travel and social distancing. On the Facebook page, Self-Isolate Our Brown County, Administrator Kyle Berkemeyer stated, quote, Thanks everyone, it looks like the state did the right thing and closed the campgrounds. This should help discourage people from coming here in mass, end quote. The page continues to stay open for citizens to connect and keep each other updated on the issue. One member commented on the page, quote, We are not only protecting Brown County, but also those who live near our county line and shop here. End quote. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Caudell said some businesses are non-compliant with Indiana Governor Holcomb's stay-at-home order during a COVID-19 press conference held on Friday, April 3rd. She said reported complaints of non-compliance are being looked into. She said essential activities should be done alone. We as patrons also need to keep in mind that we need to li limit our travel, that when we do go to the grocery or we need to make some essential run for something that we go by ourselves, we don't take four or five people with us, that we go in, we get what we need, and we go back home. And as uh, Commissioner Thomas said, I think most people are abiding by those. I want to commend our community on that. But we know that it's always helpful to just have those reminders of we still need to be doing those things. 
Monroe County Emergency Management Director Allison Moore said homemade masks are being collected for county use. Donation drop-off locations can be found at co.monroe.in.us. President of Indiana University Health Brian Shockney said construction will continue for the new IU hospital. Every uh, contractor, we have about 450 workers out there on a daily basis, and every one of them is screened before they go to work. We are keeping our social distancing there and uh, spacing out our work so that they do not congregate. Um, their meal times and everything else are spaced accordingly so that they are safe uh, and we do send them home if they um, hit in the screening criteria uh, related to uh, the COVID virus. Shockney said the construction completion is on time. He said IU hospital staff is provided with surge up training and feels the hospital is very prepared. He said the hospital could receive re-sterilized face masks through a partnership with Cook Medical. That process is working very well. Um, they are doing the final testing on that, and we hope to have an announcement here pretty soon um, within the next uh, 20 to 4 to 48 hours regarding the re-sterilization of those masks. Um, we are very lucky and, uh, and very blessed in this community to have Cook Medical um, who can put their engineers to work and, and make this happen. Um, so that that is going forward. Everything that we've trialed, everything today it looks like it's going to work. Um, we just have to be sure that the FDA blesses it and we can uh, demonstrate that we can do this on an ongoing basis. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said large group meetings should be reported and the police will engage. Indiana University Associate Vice President for Public Safety Ben Hunter said the IU stay away from campus order is independent from Governor Holcomb's order. He said IU is on the stay away order until further notice. Next up, I talked to Levi Combs, president of the Bloomington American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. I'm talking with Levi Combs. Now, you're the president of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, the local chapter 2487. Um, so for starters, can you talk a bit about what AFSCME does in general? Uh, well, we're a public sector union, and we do a lot of things across the country. Um, we're uh, your uh, city workers, we're your county workers, your state workers, and we do uh, uh, other work uh, outside of the, uh, the uh, government side of things. So we have hospital workers, um, there's office personnel. Um, we're a very diverse workforce all across America. I see. So more specifically with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, so what proactive measures can the city make or can you make to ensure workers in the public sector are still paid a livable wage? I know this is a difficult thing at this time, but so what are some proactive measures we can take in general? It appears those measures with the city have been taken. Um, they've kept us on at our normal rate of pay. Um, there's nobody at home um, from the AFSCME workforce who is being paid. Um, at first, this was a little difficult for us to deal with looking at some of our similar um, locals. Um, as with uh, IU and the county and the actions that they took with their employees. But I'm starting to uh, try to look at this in the long scheme of things. And with the city, um, I, I appreciate that we are holding our, our funds and what's been budgeted so that we can continue working without layoffs. Definitely. So how are you collaborating with the city to protect workers? I've kind of uh, reached out now and um, been contacted with the administration and I have a daily uh, half-an-hour session with the deputy mayor and the 
uh, HR director, uh, Mick Renizen and Caroline Shaw, um, where we have a uh, two-way conversation about progress that's been happening with uh, the administration and their task force, and then we get to suggest things back and forth. So I now have a uh, direct line to the uh, mayor's office, and we're able to uh, suggest things that we see might be a better fix. So what are some of those things that you're able to tell me? What are some of those potential solutions you guys are looking at, even if it's like big picture stuff? What do those conversations kind of look like? Well, the city workforce is very diverse. And throughout our public works department, our uh, utilities department, and the parks and rec department, we do a lot of different jobs, and we do them all very differently. Um, A laborer amongst all of those departments doesn't do the same job. So I wanted to be able to provide and work with the administration on a way of fine-tuning how we can work better together with uh, what's going on with uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, That means kind of uh, looking at each specific crew that we have out for each job and kind of fine-tuning how they interact and how they work together. Um, A lot of our jobs allow us to work independently and away from one another, but a lot of them we work kind of, you know, hand-in-hand with each other. So finding ways of uh, enhancing that and making it safer for everybody and finding the, the better mode of operation is uh, what I want to work to uh, with the city to kind of uh, perfect and to make it safer for our guys while we're out there and gals. Definitely. And you were saying that some workers can work remote and other workers have to kind of work hand in hand. What are some of those jobs that have to do uh, kind of the hand to hand stuff? With um, utilities department, um, you have main breaks and you have uh, line work, you have sanitary hookups, and you have water hookups, and you have uh, crews that are out there working down in ditches together. So you're within close proximity. Um, That's just to use a general example of what utilities does on the T&D side. Um, The street department, um, we do paving, we do tree work, uh, we do sign work, we do uh, uh, pavement markings. All those require crews that kind of work hand-in-hand. So whenever you look at what they're actually... uh, trying to accomplish, um, it it becomes difficult whenever you're trying to maintain the CDC guidelines. So I'll use the example from my world. So I come from the world of the traffic side of things within the street department. Um, Sign work is something that people often uh, don't recognize the installation of, but they recognize it once it's installed. Um, A lot of that requires two people. And looking at, um, let's say, how we stripe our roads um, and even just maintaining the vehicle, it requires more than two people to work right hand in hand. Um, from one hand to the other. Uh, the paving crews themselves do have individuals who are uh, standing on the back of the paver operating the paving machine itself while you have individuals shoveling right next to one another. So we really do work hand in hand. Um, a lot of our jobs require more than one individual, but there are jobs on the absolutely uh, workforce side that are more independent, like meter reading and things like that, where you, you get a little more or a little bit more autonomy. So how would you like to be more involved in this process? Okay, um, I kind of spoke out asking for help from the city to uh, be involved more, and they answered my call. Um, I've been invited to the morning meetings where we're able to discuss things, and that's my opportunity to feed to the administration the suggestions that are coming from the workforce. Uh, and those, those suggestions are, are broad, not always the best, but it gives them access to the administration and it gives them a voice, which is really what we ask for. So the last question I have for you is what does the future hold for employees in the public sector? That's a very good question. 
Um, currently, it looks like our future is kind of stable where we're at. Um, there is some uh, dip in morale, and there is some doom and gloom feeling. But as far as the operations of the city, it appears that we're operating still at the same capacity that we were before there was any kind of soft uh, shutdown or uh, remote working kind of situation. So in moving forward, I guess it really depends on how the uh, pandemic approaches us, um, how much our workforce is actually affected by each individual um, contracted case of the virus. Um, whenever somebody in a department is confirmed positive through a test, that's going to start changing things. Um, the uh, new Family First Act has kind of given us an opportunity to spread out a little bit and, and uh, kind of take that impact a little uh, less harsh, but really it's, it's uncertain. And now that I've been in communication with the administration, I can kind of see from their perspective why they uh, are, are taking the approach as they are. So I'm talking with Levi Combs. He's the president of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Thank you for your time, Levi. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge with me. Thank you for the opportunity. Up next, our consumer watchdog program, Better Beware, hosted by Richard Fish. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Do you know who's talking to you? Well, you know me. I'm Richard Fish. I'm a local guy. I've been doing these Better Bewares for years. I'm talking about someone you don't know who gets in touch with you in a phone call or text message or email or any other way. That person could be exactly who they say they are, or they could be an imposter. The Cambridge English Dictionary defines imposter as a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others. Note that key word, deceive. Right now, we're having a deluge of imposter scams. According to a survey conducted by the American Association of Retired Persons, almost half of all Americans have been targeted by an imposter. And according to the Federal Trade Commission, last year alone they had 647,000 complaints about imposter scams, a 23% increase over the previous year. Just among those Americans who weren't too embarrassed to report it, the crooks got over $667 million, or an average of 700 bucks per sucker. The telephone remains the favorite medium for imposters to leech on to their victims. They might claim someone in your family's in trouble, or they've spotted a problem in your computer and want to fix it for you. But the most common and dangerous scam right now is the fake government official. You get a call or a message from someone who claims to be with the IRS, the Social Security Administration, or some other local, state, or federal agency, maybe even the police, the FBI, or the Secret Service. They either push your greed button or your fear button. To push your greed button, they'll say you need to do something to get money, a prize you've won, an inheritance you didn't expect, your tax refund, or right now, your stimulus check. Like, give them all your personal information. 
To push your fear button, they claim that you owe back taxes, or that your account has been suspended and your benefits stopped, or that your social security number, which they will have correctly, has been somehow linked to a crime. They will threaten you with something really scary like being arrested and thrown in jail, unless, of course, you can pony up some money to make everything hunky-dory again. They always want you to wire cash or buy a prepaid card, and that's always a big red stop sign. When you are contacted by someone you don't know, check them out before you even listen to them. Anybody who is legitimate won't mind if you get back to them later, after taking time to make calls to public numbers or go online and search. But if they object to that, you are entitled to give them the scammer salute. It's easy. Just make a fist and extend your middle finger. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young, Sydney Foreman, in partnership with Catsby Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Cade Young, Katrine Bruner, and Alex Deuterer. Better Beware was produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Hereabouts Asian American Midwest Radio, coming up next on WFHB.